Hello and welcome to the first episode of my podcast, which I call Stories from a Chinese Studio. Thank you so much for tuning in. So before we start, you're wondering now, what is this podcast about? What do I mean by Stories from a Chinese Studio? And why do I want to tell you about these stories? Whether they're from、uh, pre-modern Chinese literature, they're from policy memos, from a recent book published on U.S.-China relations. Or they're from random day-to-day chats with my Chinese friends, and also very importantly, who am I to tell you about these things? And let me offer you a few glimpses of some conversations I had recently during quarantine with my friends, and some tidbits of my background as potential answers to these questions. So I recently graduated from Columbia University's East Asian Languages and Cultures Department, where my study focus was on pre-modern Chinese literature. So I know a little bit, a bit more than the average Joe about Chinese lit.、Um, but at the same time, I have also taught a lot of language classes,、um, both at college level and uh, as tutoring um, in. Um, One-on-one tutoring or after-school classes, private school, public schools in New York. And when I'm teaching, I am constantly surprised at how curious and enthusiastic kids are when they're learning the language, and how much they、um, want to know more. And their parents keep telling them, "Oh, it's going to be really important that you understand China."、Um, so what I see every day when I'm teaching is that. Kids are really excited and they love what they learn, but what I also see is that it can be really hard to learn about China from just the news. So I was working out also、uh, one day,、uh, the other day, and my friend from India and I we were having a conversation about the border conflict between our two countries, and she cried out loud in the middle of the conversation. She was like,、oh, "What does it feel like? China is taking over the world," and I said, "Oh." Is it? So I laughed with her, but really, I just simply don't know how to respond.、Um, seems like people outside of China now have very limited ways to see China as is,、uh, especially with the geopolitical climate right now with the U.S. and China. There's strong opinions and feelings formed based on hearsay and biased information sources, and people from these two countries sometimes just project whatever stereotypes they know. Onto the other side, and accusations seem to fly across the Pacific Ocean at the speed of the light. So, <laughs> this podcast is not, you know, a solution to all those grand, difficult scenarios, but hopefully, it will offer you a chance to see China and the country and its cultures, its people, its history, its literature in a different light. And I noticed that there aren't so many podcasts about Chinese literature available in the U.S.,、um, at least not what I've known. So I thought it would be cool to start one since I know a little bit about this. But I am、um, in no way an expert, so I would love to hear from you、um, what you know about the topic、um, this podcast co- covers and your general feedback on it. Um, and if you want to learn more about something particular, please also let me know. I will try to expand on it.、Um, and I thought long and hard. Okay, where should we start? 
It would be interesting, I thought, to start with stories from Qing Dynasty, which is officially the last imperial dynasty of China.、Um, it was established in 1636 and lasted all the way until 1912. So the author's name is Bu Songling. He was born in 1640, and he was dead around 1715. So Bu Songling wrote this very famous collection of short stories called Liao Jie Zhi Yi. Which has enjoyed quite a literary afterlife following its completion around 1705. So it has been adapted into many movies and television shows.、Um, so growing up, I was watching a lot of them, and every summer there seemed to be a new version of it. So it's very popular. And his stories also lend inspiration to world-renowned writers such as Franz Kafka,、um, Lafcadio Hearn,、uh, George Louis Borges. And Moyen. Sorry, I butchered some of the names, but、um, you know that, as you see, many consider him as the crowning achievement of the Chinese classical tale. So, okay, you might be thinking now, okay, we picked him because he's all great and he's famous and he's popular,、um, but this is only half true. He was not popular when he was alive.、Um, And I wanted to start with Bu Songling because I genuinely feel that he's someone that many, including myself, can relate to. Especially for one thing, that he was this aspiring scholar, aspiring official,、um, aspiring to be successful,、um, who was just not that great at exams. He really, really wanted to be famous, and he wanted to be successful. Um, and in ancient China at the time, to be successful means to become an official. So he tried very hard. He uh, passed um, the first level of the exam at the、uh, at the village level, and he was so successful.、Um, and that was when he was really young.、Um, and by the way, to become an official, there's only one way, which is to、uh, pass all these exams at different levels, all the way up to the imperial palace level. So. Um, he was success.、Uh, he was. It went smooth for him at first, but then he just kept failing and failing and failing.、Um, and at his time, right, it's not like us right now.、Um, if we fail an exam, we just take the SAT again, or、uh, we just change a career, or we move to another place. He can't.、Um, he just had to take this one exam that happens once a year. And he did this for a couple of decades. In fact, all the way to the end of his life, almost. So all through his life, he never gave up on becoming successful, and he never gave up on taking the exams and hoping that he will pass. But he never made it. So he became, in the conventional sense, loser, a loser, a big loser.、Um, he's said to be extremely intelligent, which is. The most unfortunate part is that he is so smart, but he just can't climb up the social ladder. And he even wrote this in his preface to the Liao Jiajie story. And he wrote, "Where are all those who truly know me? Are they only to be found in the so-called green maple grove, or at the dark frontier passes?" He was at the modest peak of his life and career, an obscure tutor in Shandong Province. So with no way he would know the fame and love his stories would receive from readers 
for the centuries to come. And he thought that, okay, maybe only the inhabitants of the shadowy world of the dead, which is what the green maple grove and the dark frontier passes mean. Um, only those in the afterlife state would show an interest in his stories. And when you first read his stories, you'll see that they're rarely about humans. They are mostly stories of ghosts and fox fairies and dragon princes, very strange tales, but somehow they feel really close at home. And even to this present day, his work kind of stands alone. But his work are not in anyone's shadow, nor does he stand on anyone's pedestal. And you read his pain, his dreams, his way of gossiping, his positioning of himself in those stories. And the stories offer Pus only an opportunity to express, represent, and renegotiate what it means to be human, to be and not be in his society. And as sort of a loser, um, in the most conventional sense, of course, um, he shares the struggle with people at the bottom who have very little, who means very little. And you see this in his stories, the successes and failures of the supernatural beings and the mortals they encounter often hinge on their struggles with emotions and responsibilities and duties that are part of the identity they must bear. So I'll give you a few examples of some of the shortest stories, but nonetheless, they're really interesting. Um, in the story of Wang Sima, for example, the main character Wang Da Sima, he is very rich. And one day in his dream, someone said to him, you owe me 40,000 tian, not tian is money. Um, and now it's time to pay me back. So he immediately woke up from his dream and he didn't know what was happening. But at that moment, his wife was giving birth to a boy. And he thought, oh, okay, it seems like this kid is here related to this event. And he thought, okay, I'm going to put out these 40,000 tian in a room alone and all the children's food, clothing and medical expenses, everything are drawn from these 40,000 tian. And after three or four years, there are only 700 lives. Um, on, um, on one day, um, Wang Da Sima was playing with a kid and they're having really a lot of fun, but suddenly he just kind of realized and he sighed, oh wait, 40,000 tian is almost used up. You're probably leaving me too. He doesn't know why he was feeling that, but before he could finish the sentence, according to Pusongling, the kid's complexion changed drastically and he died. <laughs> so yeah, it's a very sudden, um, sudden death. And so once Wang Sima lost his kid, he was devastated, but he had no choice but to bury the kid. And he spent exactly the remaining 700 tian for the funeral. And when this sh uh, story finished, right, I was really young when I was reading this, and I thought, oh my God, what a weird story. And it seems like it's not saying anything. I don't find this particularly interesting either. And I just thought, oh, it's so sad, right? Um, but Pu Songling, he has this interesting thing. He writes a comment after every story he writes as if he's not the one writing the story. He is like a historian or he's an outside commentator. He will comment on these stories and he wrote on this story, 
Those who are in your life come with a reason. Once there was a man who was old and without a kid. He went to ask a monk for a kid, and the monk replied, "You don't owe others, and they don't owe you. Why do you think you should get a son?" And so, if you have a dutiful son, you will be repay- repaying your favor, and the son is here to ask for the repayment. But if you don't,、um, you don't have to be sorry. You don't have to be sorry for yourself. Life and death come in a circle, so don't be too happy when you have a kid, and don't be too sad when the child is dead. It's a really a strange story when when you read it, and after the commentary, it really doesn't help. Like, what's the point?、Um, but as I was growing up, and I see、uh, and experience firsthand the death of loved ones and my friends、um, passing, and I come to realize that this story was not meant to write,、um, to be read by everybody, to be felt by everybody. It's really written for those who、um, need to hear this message, those who feel like they don't have what they they should or deserve, like a kid,、um, like a like a mother, like a father, and it's really for those who have lost their loved ones as well. So when you realize this, you start to understand. Oh, yeah, Pusolin is really, it's really touching some of us、um, in a very strange way, but in a very warm way as well. And、um, yeah, but the majority of the stories from Pusolin are not about humans. They are about foxes, crazy rakshas, or you can say rather a dramatization of aspects. Of what it means to be human, as performed by anomalous others. For example, in the story Atian, there is this rat spirit turned human who is so pretty and so kind and so good at organizing. But all her life, she has this one obsession with stocking up on food. So it's very cute because I mean she's a rat fairy, right?、Um, so all these little details that makes the story kind of funny. In a sense, normal, like not that particular, but also funny. And there is another story called、um, Sunyan, where the main character is curious why his wife never takes off her clothes when they're sleeping. So one day he sneakily takes off her dress and realizes, oh, she's a fox. And when he was about to divorce her, she ran away. And before she could run away, the fox lady. Cut off her husband's hair, <laughs> and interestingly, the story concludes that、um, with the tale with a warning on how all the women possibly could be a fox.、Um, it writes in the story that after the incident, there were one hundred and thirty people whose hair had been cut off in the capital, and the fox demon becomes a woman in colorful dress, dressed up and walks on the road. And people see her, really likes her, and they want to approach her. But when they approach her, their hair gets cut off. And at that time, all women dressed in colorful clothing were referred to as fox demon. So I guess you may not get this、uh, or think it's funny, but in、um, Chinese, the the fox fairy or fox demon up till today are still. 
um, commonly um, be associated. They're associated with this type of seductive man or woman who lures men and you know all this. So it comes from a long tradition,、um, and you see this tradition very much in Pusongling stories. But you see them also、uh, in very different forms. It's not all about just one thing or another, and it's all、um, nothing about stereotypes. In the stories, there is、um, a combination of the tenuous re-、um, realism and their semblances of reality that are familiar to the reader. Um, with aspects of the strange and the marvelous that makes Liao Jiaji so compelling, so the tropes of these tales that seems at times so wholly unreal and spectacular, in fact, work to accentuate and dramatize questions of being, and the ability and inability to resolve and inhabit a space and identity to achieve a sense of fulfillment and belonging. So understanding the needs. Of the character who seek or appear to satisfy these ontological demands help further explain what has made these tales seem so compelling to readers, both contempor-、uh, contemporaneous and throughout centuries. So, those who are familiar with Pusongling stories know that fox、uh, feature prominently in many of the stories, and in Pusongling's version of foxes, he emphasizes the humanness. And even the complete transformation from fox to human,、um, and a fox is capable of transforming into a human, adopting human nature and mannerism, and can merge into and stay in a human community forever, in a way that the realized foxes are all human inside, and build themselves into the human world. This is very different from the other fox stories throughout、um, Chinese literary tradition. And I'll show you、um, some interesting aspects in this one fox story、um, called Jiaona,、um, and you'll see that the images and connotations of these foxes are deep and diverse.、Um, they also, res-、um, but they also reflect the breadth and depth of social life to an unprecedented degree. And there are a lot of really good books written on the topic of fox. Uh, fox cult in、uh, Chinese literary tradition.、Um, there's one particular great one by Professor Julius Settling with uh, U Chicago uh, University of Chicago. It's called Historian of the Strange Pusongling and the Chinese Classical Tale. It's a great book, and in it, she writes that foxes have been a familiar topic in Chinese literary t- studies, and much attention has been devoted to them. As spellbinding beauties, whose female charm exemplifies the perpetual struggle for human control of unbridled desires. Little is known, however, about fox spirits as a religious phenomenon that has lasted for more than a thousand years, or about the connection between local religious practice and literary writings about them. This book, therefore, focuses on the cult of the fox in North China from the 16th to the early 20th century. And、traditionally, cults dedicated to such capricious deities were labeled by Chinese officials and elites as yin, which can be translated as illicit, excessive,、um, improper. For centuries, they have been targets of state and clerical proscriptions and suppression. Yet their repeated appearance in historical records testify to the ultimate failure of such control. 
So using the example of the fox cult, I examine how the illicit cults reveal the nature of Chinese religion, with special interest in the ways in which gender was used to contrast religious power. Through the theme of illicit cults and gender, I explore the broader subject of the role of a multivocal religious symbol in expressing Chinese cultural unity and diversity. So, I'll tell you this one interesting story in Lao Jai.、Um, it's called Ugly Fox. So, the author set a really surprising plot with the ugly fox as a protagonist of the story. Right? Usually, you would. Think, oh, okay. The fox are beautiful, gorgeous fox fairies turned human who seduce men, but not really. So this is not common or easy to write in the stories of Pusoling's time. But he deliberately chose to write such a female fox who loves and hates very strongly. So the story begins with the ugly fox as wearing dazzling clothes, yet is dark and ugly, right? And the fox comes into Mr. Sheng's house. She's our male protagonist, as an ugly woman, and she walked straight into the house and onto Mu Sheng's bed, asking, "Aren't you cold? Wearing so little?" And Mu Sheng is startled and asking who she is. And she doesn't even shy away or lie, and she just says, "I am a fox spirit." And I pity you living such a cold and miserable life. So I want to be with you and make your life better. And I want to make your bed warm, poor man. And she paused and put out a gold, put out gold onto the table. And she said,、um, "If you be with me, I will give you the gold, and I will treat you with a genuine heart." And later in the story, Mu Sheng accepts ugly、uh, fox money, right? In exchange,、uh, he sleeps with the ugly fox, and she treats him with really sincere love, genuine, genuine love, true love.、Uh, but he only wanted her money, so he grew rich. And as ugly fox bribery gradually reduced, Mu Sheng grew tired of her, and therefore he hired a witch to get rid of her. And the ugly fox immediately took revenge. Anki's family, and she just left for good.、And、eventually,、um, she drove Mu Sheng、um, scared and almost crazy. And after some time, the ugly fox attached herself to Yu, who lives in a nearby village, another man, and made makes him the rich and powerful guy. And with many clothes and many jewelry and money, money, lots of money, and Mu Sheng did not dare to say a word. The our our first guy, and one day the ugly fox and Mu Sheng ran into each other, and Mu was so scared he kneeled down in front of the fo- ugly fox, and ugly fox just threw some money at him,、um, like she used to, and she just turned away and left. So it's a very 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 short story. There are a lot of like details that I didn't explain, but.、Um, You see that in Pusongling's comments, he writes, "Evil demon enters your house. It is a fee to kill it. But if you benefit from it and you betray their kindness, you are no human." And Mu Sheng should not have agreed to casually、um, to the fox request for a relationship because one should know that when you don't love the woman, no matter how much gold she gives you, 
you should not be tempted, because you should know that feelings cannot be traded with money. And what Mu Sheng did to the ugly fox is despicable. And Mu Sheng is a man who is unfortunate and greedy. And the ugly fox, after all, just met the wrong person. And Mu Sheng should be ashamed of what he did. The behavior that a fox exhibits show even more kindness than a human being. It is no longer possible to judge the right from the wrong. If a person does not behave, he is worth no more than a demon. Um. So as you see in the story, right, the the fox is not the devil. The fox is not the bad character. The human is. And in Liao Jia's stories, the were beasts become part of the human community instead of being driven away.、Um, the beings in the mysterious and opposite side of the humans, right?、Um, they are not. They are just part of the human community. And these tales、um, in Liao Jia imbue the lives of the people and the spiritual beings with meaning as they explore the limits of themselves. And by trying to become human, they must confront one of the most human experiences, which is the sense of an ending, of a finite, through disappearance or death. By bounding the desires and proclivities, and the struggles and actions of these spiritual beings within a finite period of time, it underscores these tales as ones ultimately of human desires achieved through their mimicry. Or strange performances by others, by these were beasts and ghosts and spirits, right? So speaking strictly on the Pusongling stories as narratives, and with the assumption that narratives itself and how it is organized, told, and structured can be a way of representing human understanding. What is remarkable about these stories is how they use their reliance on plot and on character to dramatize and explain. The limits of human relationships, and these fox stories examined show how one of the most compelling aspects of their structure is how these tales dramatize the struggle with knowledge and being human by character who are purposefully cast as inhuman. So these stories is are narratives of desire, and without the fox spirit being want of something or someone. There can be no story, so no action and causal chain would be impossible.、Um, but in the thrall of some need, the fox's journey out into the world, into the land of men, found in these stories to explore and to saturate, to be shaped and defined by their desires, and in doing so, reveals、um, the wishes and needs, the judgments and thoughts of the humans they encounter and influence. And as implicated in the narrative style of these stories, which often present them as true tales, even the human readers ourselves. So, the、um, there are a lot of really good stories in Liao Jia, and you can read them in、um, the translated works um, by uh, by very famous scholars.、Um, it's called. the The translation of Liao Jia is called "Strange Tales、uh, from Liao Jia" or "Strange Stories from the Lodge of Leisure" or "Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio,"、um, and you can find them online. And you can find other podcasts actually、um, on Pusong、uh, Ling's Liao Jia Ji, and you can find them on YouTube. The TV shows that I watch. 
Um, but I guess what I want to emphasize um, is that the dramatic power comes from how the plot of these stories puts at stake what happened to these spirit beasts as they struggle and grapple with these all-too-human desire. In the crust of each story's plot, the one indisputable difference that always breaks these human-spirit relationship is the moment when compelled by some inner nature, they can no longer maintain their human forms and so collapse back into their other forms. And what is dramatized then is not just the mortality of these spiritual beings, but rather human mortality itself. So as we think back on, the, um, on Pusolin's life, we see that you know, his strong desire of be- being successful, of becoming an official, all falls short. And he, um, as a commoner, as one of the many, um, feels this very, very, very strongly that he can't have what he needs. And he writes these um, failure and he writes his desires into the stories. And what it's achieved in these tales it's a compendium of characterizations of human desires by beings that are only allowed to by humans in a finite and often exaggerated way. Um, and I guess um, that is what I find most interesting in Pusolin's stories. Um, and I hope that one day or after this fo- podcast or many, many years um, after this, you'll go and check out some of the stories um and maybe uh, when you're um, down from life and when you haven't got your wishes fulfilled you can look at some of these stories and feel at home and feel that your struggles are shared by not only humans but also these strange beings in these strange tales um from a faraway land um, from pre-modern 17th, 18th century China. Um, and so uh, this is our first episode, about 30 minutes. Um, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back uh, with different stories uh, in our second episode. <laughs>